Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is your host, Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on today's show is our friend, former editorial colleague, and frequent past host of this podcast, Seth Barron. Seth is now the managing editor of The American Mind. It's a great publication over at the Claremont Institute. I, I encourage you to check it out. And you can follow Seth on Twitter at Seth Barron NYC. Seth also has an important new book coming out this spring. It's called The Last Days of New York, and we'll talk about it a bit later. Listeners of the podcast will also be interested to know that the City Journal team is wrapping up production on a special issue that we'll be releasing shortly. It's called New York City Reborn, and it will gather together all of the essays on the future of the city and ideas for getting us out of its pandemic or post-pandemic situation that we've been publishing online over the last six months. These will be updated versions of those pieces. But we've asked Seth to come on today to talk about one of the big stories in New York and national politics going on right now, which is the controversy surrounding Governor Andrew Cuomo and his administration's handling of the coronavirus outbreak in the state. It was reported last week that the governor, uh, the governor's team admitted basically to hiding data on the number of victims in nursing homes in 2020 uh, throughout the state. This was purportedly to escape public scrutiny and possible legal action by the Trump Justice Department last year. Since the story came out, there's been reports of the governor threatening state lawmakers, an investigation opened by the U.S. Attorney's Office, and more that I'm sure we'll get into with our guest today. So, Seth, thanks very much for joining us. Oh, absolutely, Brian. Thanks for having me on. You wrote a piece for us last week when this story about the governor first broke. Uh, it was called Cuomo Unmasked. Can you break down for our listeners, especially those who might not be in the New York area, what we learned and what was the governor's re reaction this week uh, that also made news. Sure thing, Brian. Um, you know, just to back up a little bit, uh, back in March of 2020, when the pandemic was really hitting America, and New York in particular, there was a big fear that the hospitals would be overrun and that uh, people would be, you know, collapsing and dying in the hallways. <clears throat> and, you know, as a result of this, Cuomo and his uh, health commissioner, Gary Zucker, put out a directive uh, ordering nursing homes and long-term care facilities to, re to admit or readmit COVID patients from hospitals directly, uh, whether or not they were still contagious. This turned out not to be the best solution because they wound, a lot of contagious people wound up entering nursing homes filled with the most vulnerable, you know, older people, sick people. And as a result, thousands of nursing home residents uh, got COVID and died. Now, this was fairly clear uh, in April, and it was pretty clear that it wasn't necessarily the best decision. Uh, but... Cuomo maintained the directive through uh, late May. Now, 
look, there's a lot of, um, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking and 2020 hindsight being applied here, some of which is fair and some of which I think is unfair. Uh, in the same way that I personally think it's unfair to say that Donald Trump is responsible for a quarter million deaths to COVID, I think it's, it's, it's equally somewhat unfair to, to say that Cuomo is directly responsible for the fourteen or 15,000 deaths that uh, occurred in, in New York State nursing homes. At the time he made the decision, there was incomplete information. And, you know, this is, the, this is the decision he made. The problem that's emerged is that throughout the summer of 2020, as you may recall, Cuomo would be on television every day uh, giving his briefings about the course of the pandemic. And then he would be on television all night long, like on his brother's show on CNN. And he just received all of this national adulation from the media who presented him as like the the, the real president of the United States or the act, you know, the shadow president. And he was just talked about in these salvific terms. He was given an Emmy in the fall. And, you know, it, it, it was just over the top. And the, the problem is he kind of ate it up. Uh, he wrote a book about his leadership, crisis leadership during the, during this period. Um, and he became very, he was very, uh, reactive and angry if anyone questioned his his judgment. Um, now it's emerged that they knew that the what the numbers were, were were much higher than what they were releasing. They they stonewalled the media uh and the state legislature on the the, the true numbers of people who are dying. And when it finally came out, he uh claims that well he was just following the federal government. I mean this is another case where the, the cover-up is worse than the crime, in a sense. A couple of weeks ago, or last week, his, his, his top aide, Melissa DeRosa, told Democratic legislators that the reason that they didn't release the information sooner, as you said, Brian, was because she didn't want the Trump administration, or Cuomo didn't want the Trump administration to weaponize the data, to, to politicize it and go after them and send the Department of Justice into poking around. So, I mean, that's essentially like obstruction and hiding, you know, and lying and hiding, hiding evidence of, you know, a possible crime. So Cuomo is now uh, in, in a corner. And as usual, when he's cornered, he lashes out. So, you know, he told a state legislator from Queens that he would destroy him if he didn't back him up. Uh, you know, as you and he's acting like a, a, a serious bully. So um, the, the, the bloom is off the rose. Let's put it that way. I wonder, Seth, do you expect that there will be real consequences for Governor Cuomo? He has been a major force in New York politics for some time now. In terms of state politics, how do you think normal people and voters in New York are going to perceive the story or are perceiving it right now? It's an interesting question. Um, in the past, when Cuomo has been uh, cornered or you know gotten into trouble, he's just sort of bluffed his way through it. Uh, a couple of years ago, he set up a commission called the Moreland Commission 
into public corruption, uh, which was supposed to investigate, you know, cases of graft or, uh, you know, dodgy campaign contributions. And then when the commission started looking into some of his own donors, Cuomo just shut it down. And he said very clearly, I mean, he said, uh, this is my commission. I can do whatever I want with it. I can start it. I started it. I can end it. Uh, this is the way he's tended to govern. Now, things have changed a little bit in this state. Um, not only has the state Senate switched from Republican to Democrat control, but the entire legislature now is has a veto-proof Democratic majority. Traditionally, the Senate was Republican and the House, the Assembly was Democrat, and the governor was able to essentially get together with the leaders of the two chambers, and the three of them would hammer out a budget that would, you know, also contain a lot of legislative new new laws would be just inserted into the budget. Um, and he could play off the two sides. Now that they have a ve- the Democrats have a veto-proof majority, they're less, they're still dependent on him because he presents the budget, but they can push back. So I think we're going to be seeing more of that, although spe- the Speaker of the Assembly, Carl Hasty, has not so far opposed the governor. But there are talks right now. They want, uh, many legislators want to roll back Cuomo's, uh, his executive uh, emergency powers right now because of the pandemic. He, there's all sorts of things he can just do unilaterally that they, they want to take away from him. And then, you know, he has an election next year and there may be people on the left side of the party who want to challenge him. So it's a very good question and it's a little bit in flux right now. As you know well, Seth, uh, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, someone whose career you follow closely, is wrapping up his final year in office. And basically, everyone in the city is now looking forward to the next mayor. Uh, you wrote a piece for us a few weeks ago now, which will be included in our special issue, New York City Reborn, previewing the mayoral race and profiling some of the top contenders. Mostly in that essay, though, you urge caution. I'll quote you here. It's tempting to think that electing a better leader will repair all the damage. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. If you could, could you sum up your concerns for New York as you expressed them in that essay? What kind of damage has the de Blasio administration done to the city over the last eight years? Uh, what is the post-pandemic outlook for the city? Have you seen anything that might make you optimistic for New York's future, at least in the near, near term? Sure. Um I mean, one of the benefits of, of having a two-party system, as we do you know, in, Amer- in most parts of, of America and nationally, is that the, the two parties, are, are, they, 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 they rein each other in to some degree. Uh, you can't run to the far left in, in a two-party system because, well, you're, you're going to have to face a general election against a, a more moderate uh, opponent. Uh, and the same for the on the other side, New York City and increasingly New York State is a one-party state. So there's there's very there's really no check on the the leftward impulses 
of the Democratic Party, particularly in the primary. Uh, right now, we have dozens and dozens of seats coming open in the uh, election this this year, the, the June primary and then the November general. And all of these candidates for city council, for mayor, for controller are just leapfrogging each other to the left to try to promote uh, promote the, 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 the most woke left-wing agenda. So all kinds of things are coming up that years ago never would have been considered like feasible, such as legalizing prostitution or, you know, insisting that all new construction contain one quarter of the units for the very poor, um, you know, abolishing the police. And we're seeing these kinds of proposals virtually from all of the top candidates for mayor, for instance. So I, I don't think we're necessarily, you know, I don't see de Blasio as having been some kind of strong leader who imposed a new regime on New York. He was a function of the progressive ascendancy that rose in 2009 and then in 2013 with his election uh, to the mayoralty. So, you know, he's just, he's just part of this. And this has, it's, it's like a juggernaut. It's got a lot of power and a lot of momentum. Um, whether there's anyone who can slow it or stop it, I, I think is a really good question. I mean, the only positive sign I see, and I'm not a big fan of Andrew Yang by any means. I think a lot of his policies are insipid, but he's not beholden to the existing power structure, such as the municipal unions and the, you know, I guess what you'd call like the nonprofit industrial complex in, in, in New York City. Uh, so he might be able to come at things with an original perspective, and he is leading in the polls right now. Uh, I mean, today, de Blasio is meeting with union leaders essentially to stop Yang. I mean, he's, he's in a panic, and the entire Democratic machine is in a panic both the mainstream ones and the insurgent like left-wing ones about Yang. So that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Uh, anything that shakes up the sclerotic uh, you know, political culture we have here is positive. As I mentioned at the top, Seth, you've got uh, a new book coming out this spring. The Last Days of New York, a reporter's true tale of how a city died. Now, this overlaps somewhat uh, with some of the things you were just saying, but I wonder if you could give a sketch of the main argument of the book uh, for our listeners. Sure, sure. I, I'd love to. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, I did sketch out my, my premise that a regime has taken over New York City from top to bottom. Uh, from staffers to the elected officials to these consultor, consultants who work on behalf of politicians, unions, corporations. They essentially fund, the, they, they raise money for candidates. They essentially select candidates. They're part, it's very hard to, to see fault lot, to see lines between the political party, the consultants and the donors. Um, We've seen a very 
woke progressive agenda, an equity-focused agenda, meaning equality of outcome, not equality of opportunity. Uh, We saw this with de Blasio when he took over with his Tale of Two Cities narrative, uh, stressing the wealth disparities among people in New York City. I mean, the thing about New York City is it's always been a a beacon uh, for immigrants because there was so much opportunity here. People don't come to New York, either from the rest of the country or the world, seeking equality. They come because they're seeking opportunity, um, seeking like equity, equality of, of outcome, just smothers opportunity. It, it destroys it. So, you know, we're seeing a, but it's, it's, it's invasive. It's, it's gotten to every aspect of government and cultural life. Uh, the schools are now completely infected by this, this, this insidious uh, ideology with principals sending out charts to white parents, asking them to identify what, where they are, uh, are they between, are they white supremacists or are they white traitors? Uh, you know, th- this type of thing. So we're seeing this, you know, in policing, education, budgeting, we're seeing it all across the, um, the spectrum of policies and politics. So it's, it's, it's not looking too good. It's just really not looking too good. But anyway, that's the thesis. That, that's what I do in my book, is I cover all these different areas. But also, you know, I, it's, not, it's not a strict policy book, because I do get into the personality of Bill de Blasio and, you know, some, some of the more amusing features of his, of, of his term. Don't forget to check out Seth Barron's recent work. He's now the managing editor over at the American Mind. We're still glad to have him writing for City Journal, um, and uh, he'll be writing for us going forward on on New York and other issues. You should should absolutely check out this new book he's got coming out, The Last Days of New York. It'll be appearing in May. And you can follow Seth on Twitter, at SethBaronNYC. You can also follow City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at CityJournal underscore MI. And as always, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, please leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and thanks very much, Seth, for joining us today. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.